Another massive day at the World Cup as two heavyweights collide. We check in with former Socceroo Tommy Orr, Socceroo's icon Mark Schwarzer and Premier League legend Michael Bridges as they break down Spain and Germany. We've also got the analysis of all the other games, Croatia's win against Canada, Morocco's breakthrough victory against Belgium and Costa Rica upsetting Japan. I'm your host, Teo Pelizzeri. This is the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Let's get in to the Gegenpod. Another action-packed morning at the World Cup, and we have a ripper panel for you. Former Socceroo and World Cup player Tommy Orr and former Premier League legend Michael Bridges. Bridgie, been a very fun evening for you over in the UK, and we're ready to get straight into it with Spain and Germany. Yes, what an incredible game. I mean, yesterday's podcast... I was saying how I had the sangria ready, I had the paella out, and I was going to be on the Spanish bandwagon to see the Germans go home and to give Mark Swartz a grief. And I thought when Maratta the sub did it to I thought that was the moment. And it wasn't to be because Costa Rica messed up earlier on. Uh, sorry, Japan messed up. Costa Rica got the result and Germany found a way in the end. So unfortunately, I've had to put the sangria on ice for another day. And... Tommy, this had the real big game feel that everyone going into the match had hoped for. I must admit, I was a little worried because Bridgie mentions that earlier result. It meant that a draw was actually a pretty good result for Germany, not as much at stake for them, but that didn't lessen the spectacle, I thought. No, absolutely. And I thought, um, yeah, you know, it was a really interesting battle of two kind of distinct styles of play. Um, Obviously, we know with the Spanish side how they like to impose themselves on the game with possession-based football, but... With the German side, it was you know very much more muscular, trying to pinch the ball through um, with a really effective press of um, uh, from the Spanish midfielders, and I thought it was a really fascinating game from that regard because it was you know two of the you know favoured teams in the whole tournament really going at it, and like um, Bridgie mentioned, when Morata got that goal, I thought that Spain was going to run away with it, but I think they actually went a little bit back into their shell after they scored and allowed Germany back in and. Um, we saw at the very end as well, Sane had a chance to win it for Germany as well. Now, the goal scorer for Germany, Nicholas Fulkrug, it was only his third camp and it was his first uh, international goal. I mean, this is a tournament where so many teams have perhaps bemoaned the lack of an out-and-out goal scorer and a natural number nine. And even though Fulkrug has come into this tournament without much of a reputation, Bridgie, how important is it just to have a big man to lump it forward to? And he showed, really, with that goal, it was just power, it was persistence, and it was a battering ram sort of an effort. Yeah, absolute determination. That's You could see he was tracking, he's, he's run inside the area, uh, and the ball fell to him. But I've got to say, in that moment... The you know the pressure that he would have been feeling in that moment, knowing that he's through one on one, he's come on, he's got a chance to make an impact, and to keep Germany in the World Cup as such, and he he just finished it. it was so clinical, top corner, and I thought the celebration, but like you say, he's he's different to what we've seen from uh, you know D, uh, Werner was there, Havertz, yeah, they they're, they're different styles of 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 players. That uh, that you see playing in that role, um, and he looks a lot stockier. His hold up play was good, and he showed he can finish. So everybody plays an importance um, when you when you when you're involved in this national team, and that's why I think we've seen so many subs have come on and made an impact at this World Cup. Not only for Germany, but for a lot of other teams that have completely turned the game on its head. Yeah, I th- I think the same thing, and I guess if you look from a Spanish perspective, it was a similar kind of theme. You know, Morata came on as a sub and had the same impact as well, and I think that. You know, both sides kind of play with more of the false nine at the start. But when they brought on the more natural number nine, they 
they could, uh, you know, they, lo they look more likely in the front third. So it's definitely, um, it makes it interesting to see what they'll do going forward in that regard. I mean, you look at Full Krug's resume, Werder Bremen, Grotzefjurz, Nuremberg, Hanover, back to Werder Bremen, hadn't played for Germany since the under-20s in 2014. That's a German a, a, a journeyman career if you've ever seen one, Tommy. And yet now he's shining on the biggest stage and he's kind of the guy that Germany have got their hopes pinned on. You don't normally associate that with one of the biggest teams and one of the biggest countries to be at a World Cup. Absolutely not. And I think, yeah, you look at uh, Germany historically and they've been blessed with having, you know, the number nines playing for Bayern Munich or, the, you know, these types of teams. And um, that's obviously not the case right now. And I think that's maybe a little bit of a, a theme in the German squad generally. I think they're a little bit of a team that's, you know, going through a bit of a transition. But, you mean, some of the, the talent that they've got and the service that they can provide a player like him, you know, Musiala last night was unbelievable. And I think, you know, the way that he can turn, and obviously we saw, we saw with the goal as well, he's, he's touched to take it past the defender for that goal. You know, I think that with those types of players, it's, uh, yeah, it, 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 you know, you don't need necessarily the, the out-and-out number nine to, to be a threat. And we can see, you know, with, with uh, France as well, Olivier Giroud, 36 years old, it's a similar story, you know. With the service they're getting, they're more than capable of scoring goals. I've got to say, Tommy, that's the only man, that's the only player I'm going to give Swartz satisfaction for, Musiala. He mentioned him <laughs> before the tournament. I'm a big fan of his as well, but Swartz said he was one to look out for. And there's a couple of matches where he's had them dribbles and he just hasn't been able to finish them off. But he's such an exciting player. Anybody that gets me on the edge of my seat when they pick the ball up is a player for me. So, like you say, if Germany do go on, I'm sure we're going to see much more of him and having an impact on this World Cup. Well, on that subject, speaking of Mark Schwartz's predictions, he's on the ground over in Doha and has just finished watching the match between Spain and Germany. Schwartzy, how are your tips for the tournament going? Well, yes, uh, my tip of Dark Horses of Canada doesn't look like it's going too well. Um, they obviously started very, very well today against Croatia, um, and I thought they did very, very well in their first game. Um, and unfortunately for them, it just didn't quite work out. So, yeah, look, could have got that one wrong. Um, Jamal Musiala, I have to say, was at the game today, watching him against Spain, very, very disappointing. I thought he was a million miles off it, nowhere near the levels I would expect it from him. And, uh, yeah, fair to say that he won't get golden ball that's for sure um, and regards to Germany well I think they've got a lot to do still Musiala Müller Nabri, just to name a few there's too many of them that are nowhere near the level they need to be um, and what I expect them to be certainly at club level um, to play into the national football and also to make an impact at a World Cup um, very very disappointed with the way they but but I did like their fight and their determination they stuck at it um, tonight and got back in the game but still a long way off Germany and uh, got a lot to do still to get out of the group now the two managers, uh, Hansi Flick and Luis Enrique, the only two managers to have won a Champions League uh, in this tournament. So did we see the two best managers at the tournament going head-to-head? -head? And if so, what stood out to you about the tactical battle? I think Tommy was just talking about there before, the tactical battle for me. Uh, on that question, the two best, if, if they've got the best credentials uh, and you're saying they've won the Champions League, then you've got to give them credit for that and the football that Spain have been playing I think it's been absolutely breathtaking, the possession-based game. But Germany have shown a way, and that's what I love about football. There is no given set way. Everybody comes up with different techniques, different styles, different themes and different philosophies that managers have got. You see a team like Costa Rica who can get results from defending. You have two chances, you create them, you score them. 
they, they're defensive. Germany showed that they can turn it on at certain points. They'll absorb pressure. They'll counterattack. Absolutely brilliant. And this game with Enrique and Spain, they are just a possession-based team that absolutely try and suffocate you with possession. But they do it in the right areas of the field. They do it in the back third, the mid third, the final third. And a lot of teams struggle to do that. So the transformation I've seen and what I've seen with Enrique um, of all the stuff that has happened with Spain in the past, when you know we're going to another World Cup, Lopetegui's getting sacked beforehand. There was a lot of things that had gone on. Herrera took over for the pit of that tournament, so he's had a massive, massive job to do. I'm a big fan of his. I like what he's about. He's been and done it as a player. He's done it as a manager, and um, I can see them going very, very far into this competition. Oh, I completely agree. And you know, you you look at the Spanish midfield and the way that they play between the lines. They're so brave in possession, but it's almost like you know the likes of Gavi and Pedri. Doesn't matter what position they receive the ball in, they they seem to get themselves out of trouble. And I think that having that that quality in the midfield and obviously Busquets as well, that allows them to play, you know, that Barcelona style of football that we associate with uh, Enrique as well. So, I mean, I completely on the same page as Bridgie. I think that they're one of the maybe the favourites for to win this tournament. But obviously, there's still a long way to go. And yeah, with Germany, like we touched on, it's obviously a much more muscular approach, but. Um, yeah, like Bridgie said, that that's what makes it such a, a fascinating game um, to watch because they're two distinct styles. Another thing you've got to give him credit for as well is the fact you've just mentioned two players, Pedri and Gavi. He is willing because he knows they are good enough. It doesn't matter what age they are, he knows they're good enough to put them in. That's a lot of faith in two teenage boys to be in that midfield. And uh, that, for me, speaks volumes about what he's learned as, as well when he was at Barcelona. If you're good enough, you were old enough. A lot of other managers would have absolutely messed themselves and said, nah, they're too young. Yep. And you see that he brought on Williams and the young left-back from Barcelona as well in a pivotal moment of the game this morning. And I think that that kind of strengthens that argument as well. One more on this game. Bridgie, last time at the World Cup, Germany had South Korea in the final group game. Everyone thought they were going to win through and, and everything was going to be all right after they lost to Mexico. They're in an even bigger hole in theory this time because it's the first time they've ever failed to win their first two games at a World Cup. But is it as simple as Germany beats Costa Rica in the final game, Germany goes through? Or is there a chance that the the demons of the South Korea game four years ago could rear up and they somehow manage to slip on the banana skin again? I'm hoping that the banana skin comes out again, mate. I've told you that. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> uh, but I'll, I'll quite happily go over there and pack the bags themselves and get them on the, fl- on the plane. <laughs> but what, what I've got to say, this World Cup has just been absolutely bamboozling because there's been so many shock results and there's been so many close games from you know the African teams the Asian teams everybody's turned up to this World Cup and said you know what it is we're all here to be accountable and the, the results that we've seen it just makes this tournament so unpredictable so this there's so many groups at this moment in time you're going into the final round of games going hang on a minute what's what's the permutations here who, who can actually go through uh, and what can be done. So, uh, like I've said, I hope Germany out of the go out of the tournament because, on a personal note, I know they're a major threat. And when I'm an England fan, I want Australia to go deep into the tournament as well. You know, you've got to get rid of the big dogs. Um, so, when you, when you're talking about wanting to watch teams, would I want to watch Costa Rica again? No, not at all, because I don't like the way that their style of play. It's um, it's it's not my type of football I enjoy watching. Germany, yes, all day long, but I hope they go home. Well, let's go over to the Albite Stadium because Mark Schwarzer was pitch side for this one. And so let's hear from the Socceroos icon now. Well, the game today between Germany and Spain, I suppose what I expected, 
you know, the possession stats were in favour of Spain. It goes without saying. They are a great team to watch in possession. A lot of movement. Um, very much one-touch football. But with not a lot of end product, not a real lot of chances. Um, they do a lot to get in the fi- final third, but without really causing too many problems. Yes, they did score tonight. They probably had another decent shot. Danny Elmer had a shot where uh, Manuel Neuer flicked it onto the crossbar. Other than that, there wasn't much else, um, and that's the only thing that worries about me. About, worries me about them is the fact that they look good, they look great, they have all the possessions, they create uh, a lot of movement going forward, but with very little in, end product. But the one plus, Morata is back on the score sheet and that must be a huge boost for Spain because they just don't really have that prolific out-and-out number nine goal scorer. Uh, For Germany, yeah, what do I say? Um, The positive about tonight was they battled and they never gave up and I think Hansi Flick made some really good com- uh, substitutions. Leroy, Leroy Sané, which, who is often criticised for lack of effort or perceived lack of effort. Today, I thought he was a game changer. I thought he did very, very well. Um, uh, Full Krug, his third game for Germany, um, looked a real handful. And, and that was Germany's big problem going into the World Cup, was they don't really have that recognised number nine international quality player. Fulkrug's had a really good start to the season, and uh, he was a big unknown, only, only having played now three games, but scored two goals. Today was a really good goal, really, really good strike. Um, and he threw himself about, and he just had that little bit of different uh, type of player than, than Germany's been playing with. So... Look, I've still got some hope um, that Germany can do it and get through. I think now that point tonight, that was so important. If they didn't get a point tonight against Spain, I think it was curtains for Germany. However, they got it, and I still believe that Germany will get through the group. So, yeah, I think Spain's going to top the group. I got I got pretty much, I'm pretty certain that they'll beat Japan. And I'm, I'm, I am confident Germany will beat Costa Rica, even though they're a, a, a marked improvement in their first game against Spain when they played against Japan. Um, today, but I still believe that Germany will be too strong for them. Well, I hope anyway. <laughs> um, so, but Spain, Germany should for me still go through. Spain first, second will be Germany. Thanks to Mark Schwarzer. We'll check in with him again as the Gegen Pod rolls on today. But we need to go to one of the other games in one of the other groups, and that was Croatia 4 defeating Canada 1. But this match got off to a pretty wild start because Alfonso Davies, who missed the penalty in the first group game against Belgium, ended up uh, scoring after just two minutes. 67 seconds was the exact time, but Croatia dominated from there on. And as the match wore on, Tommy, some of the Canadian defending was pretty disastrous. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, you, you look at the first game that Canada played, and I think the thing that they did really well was the, the pressure that they applied their opponents under, and they didn't give them any time. But you know, the Croatian midfield, with the lights of Modric, he was able to play through that press and really expose the, the back four of Canada, which is probably their biggest weakness. And I think that you know, Croatia's arguably got the best midfield at this tournament, and I think that's kind of what shone through in this game was... Uh, you know, Canada's game plan to get in their faces and stop them from playing didn't work and it left them very exposed. So I thought that was an interesting takeaway from this game. I mean, what more incentive do you need as a Croatian player and staff than when you've got the Canadian manager, uh, John Herdman, who is originally from the northeast region in England? What more incentive when you hear him using the, the F-bomb against Croatia and saying that they're there to be taken apart 
Like, please, what, 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 what are you doing? I don't understand the motive behind that. Yeah, I mean, I definitely didn't have the response <laughs> that, that he would have wanted as well. But yeah, I mean, it was definitely an inflammatory comment and unnecessary. I mean, you know, you'd like to think that the focus should be on, on your own teams. And that was probably, um, yeah, an un, unnecessary comment. I was actually looking forward to seeing Canada in this World Cup. Um, and that start they got off to today, uh, early on, and you saw, you know, after missing the penalty, and Dave, Alfonso Davies putting that header in, I just thought it was a magical moment for Canadian football. Um, because they are very, very fit. They're, they are organised. But like you say, when it comes down to the class and the pedigree of the players you are playing against in a, in a nation like Croatia that have been there and done it before and they've got such experience, it was it was just a joy to watch them dissect Canada in the end and um, turn out to be a very, very entertaining game. Now, Croatia, they're back on track. They've got four points. They're looking pretty good going into the final group game against Belgium. But Canada, they'll play Morocco in the final group game. And even though they're mathematically out, Tommy, at the last World Cup, we saw teams who were out, like South Korea, like Poland. They still came up and they won their final group game because there's pride on the line. So before we get into talking about Morocco's win against Belgium, do you think Canada will bounce back or do you think the, the nature of how they capitulated through the second half against Croatia means that they're spent and they may not have a dead cat bounce in them? I don't think that's the case. I think um, you also, you, you know, you look at the opposition they came up against and we touched on Croatia's quality, but, you know, that was probably a step too far and a, a big golf in quality at this time. I don't think they're necessarily going to face a side that formidable in their last group game and, you know, the challenges that they're up against will be completely different, but... You know, we've seen from Canada this tournament that they're more than capable and, yeah, they play some excellent football. It's just a matter of stringing it together for, for the whole 90 minutes. So I definitely expect them to be competitive in that final game. Whether or not they can get a result, I, I don't think so personally, but I, I don't expect it to be a blowover by any means. All right, you're listening to The Gagan Pod, a quick break, and when we come back, we'll touch on Morocco's breakthrough win against Belgium and also one of the big upsets of the day. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Gagan Pod. We've got Michael Bridges and Tommy Orr with you this morning talking about all things World Cup. And perhaps the result of the day was Morocco 2, Belgium 0. Looks like it might be the end of an era for Belgium, but let's start with the winners, Morocco. Tommy, how special was this for Morocco? Their first win uh, since 1998 in a game when they beat Scotland. That feels like a very long time ago. A really special moment for them. Definitely, and um, you know, we, we saw in the first game that Morocco played against Croatia that they're they're a really difficult opponent, and they're really aggressive the way they play. It's it's a high intensity game, and I just think they ran over the top of Belgium in this game. And it was definitely a game that could have gone either way, but I thought that they were fantastic. And you know, they've got some world class talent as well. You know, Hakim Ziyech and the likes of these players, they always look like they're poss- You know, they they could score a goal. There's there's a likelihood there, and um, obviously defensively as well. I think they've been outstanding. So. I mean, they're, they're the kind of opposition that nobody likes to play, but for them to get their, you know, a first win in this tournament, and like you mentioned, I think, yeah, they were great value. 
they have been the absolute standouts. I think the defensive record is amazing for clean sheets. Um, you mentioned Ziyech there, but they've got Hakimi as well playing at right back. They look full of energy. The the temperatures, of, obviously they've been able to handle the temperatures as well. And they knew that Belgium were there for the taking because how many times have we said it before? Belgium turn up on paper, fantastic, but they just can't do it at major tournaments. And the FIFA rankings totally mind-boggle me as to as to how they can they can honour that because when it comes to major tournaments, they don't do it. And now they've got the argument in-house. So for the listeners, what we've got is um, De Bruyne getting asked if they can win the World Cup and De Bruyne saying no because we are too old of a team. So then after the game, Vertonghen gets interviewed and says, well, if we could score goals up front um, and we weren't too old, then we might have a chance. So they've got this in-house argument going on between the team as well. It's just an absolute shambles. Um, I know they've had a few injuries as well, but Morocco knew they were there for the take and they did a job and I thought the football they played and their set plays were absolutely brilliant. They just totally, totally pressed so well against a very good outfit in um, Belgium. I mean, to see this going on with Belgium at the moment, um, Tommy De Bruyne, as Bridgie touched on there, critical of the defenders not being fast, Vertonghen critical of the attackers. Is this falling apart at the seams? Uh, Is this just good journalism from the interviewers to get these quotes out of the players and maybe they'll go and apologise to each other behind closed doors? Or is this the frustrations of what's going on behind those closed doors starting to spill out into the open? I think it's the latter. I think that yeah, there's definitely signs that there's a bit of imploding going on. And, you know, obviously they've got some you know, massive names in their team and they're full of big personalities as well. And, um, yeah, I think that's maybe a little bit of, you know, excuses or deflection, deflecting coming on because um, they're not really a team that's playing as a sum of their parts at the moment. And I guess that's the big thing in this World Cup. You see the likes of Morocco and the way they're going about the game there. Those are the kind of teams that are winning the matches. It's not the teams full of the, the with the star-studded lineups, and I think that's exactly what's the case with Belgium. That they're, they're you know not not performing the way they can, and the pressure's probably getting to them. And you know I think if they were ever going to win a World Cup, it was probably going to be four years ago. That was their best chance, and now yeah, it's disappointing to see the way they're kind of capitulating. But again, it's not completely surprising. It's the type of thing that you've seen with the French national team historically as well, and. I think that's what's happening here. I just hope we don't see escalate to the magnitude that we did in the A-League. Um, a former team of yours, Tommy, uh, Brisbane Rogue, when they had the Connor Chapman incident with the... the stri- who's the striker there? Um, was it Charlie Austin? Is that Charlie Austin, yeah. I mean, that was absolutely <laughs> yeah, superb. Yeah. So basically saying, you keep a clean sheet at the back and Connor's going, well, if you could score goals. and So it does go on. I've seen it a couple of times at clubs I've been at where it's behind closed doors and you're in the dressing room and a little bit of crap's kicked off and you've had it. That one was publicly exposed. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. But like you say, Theo, it does, as long as you can handle it as a team and a staff, you get over it. But this, this, um, the Belgium team are very fragile at this moment in time. And to actually see two players doing it in the public, where they're doing it with comments um, to the media, that's when it becomes dangerous because that, that means that there is a quite a bit of unrest and they're, you know, they're, they're better putting the gloves on inside the sheds and getting it sorted out in there rather than making it a massive thing that they don't need spread um, around the media. Well, it's funny you mentioned the French, Tommy, because the French, often it's been coach-driven. You know, they've had like you know Raymond Dominic picking players based on their star signs and leaving out Gal Clichy because he was the wrong star sign for a tournament. Um, 
but in the in the past, you know, in the nineties and the early two thousands, we used to always hear about how the Dutch teams wouldn't get along, and that was largely on racial lines between the white players and the West Indian players that you know come from Suriname or Curacao, and you know there was always that schism in the team, and obviously big egos as well. This one is based on age, and that's what I find so strange because it's not like Belgium have a heap of young players that have demanded they be selected ahead of this so-called golden generation. And and you can probably understand why Roberto Martinez brought them back for one last ride. But is it actually strange that the divide is based on age rather than something like, say, personalities or race? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, the, the dynamics of their team, it's difficult to know if you're not there what's going on inside the changes and these types of things. So, I mean, you know, obviously there, there's, there is an issue happening, but... What the the root of that problem is, I'm not entirely sure, but we we know with Belgium as well. You know, it's it's a unique nation in the sense that you know there's the French side, there's the Dutch side, there's the Flemish side, and you know they're 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 culturally not completely aligned, even politically. So there's no doubt that there would be very different personalities in that squad, and potentially that's playing a role in this as well. I wanted to uh, ask to go inside Socceroos camp because you were there for two of them, Tommy. In these close quarters and the pressure cooker environment, some things can boil over, the smallest things can become big issues. Were you ever an eyewitness to something like this, but maybe fortunate enough that it didn't spread out into the press? No, to be honest. I think that's actually one um, of the biggest strengths of the Australian national team is, um, you know, there's obviously players where, where there's differences, but I think everybody kind of puts their differences aside and knows that, that what they're there for and has a common goal. And I think that that's definitely a kind of an Australian mentality. And even in the A-League, we obviously touched on that incident at Brisbane Raw earlier, but there hasn't been too many moments or incidents in my career playing in Australia or for Australia where I've witnessed too much hostility. And I think that's kind of uh, one of the endearing kind of traits or good characteristics of, of Australian footballers. Um, and, yeah, I mean, even even a couple of times where there was might have been a, bit, a few issues or, you know, a bit of tension... You know, there was 20 players there to kind of nip it in the bud and stop it from becoming anything bigger. And I think that's where we have a big point of difference to some of these other nations. How how much of that, again, was driven by leaders and by coaches or even, you know, a team manager or staff? And how much of that was just the personal responsibility of the individuals kind of, we Aussies love to say, a no dickheads policy? Yeah, no, I think it's definitely that. I think it's the individuals. And it's, it's not even necessarily, you know, the older or experienced players um, addressing situations. I think it's more just every player, you know, addresses it from within themselves. And, you know, if there was ever any tension, I think people would just kind of walk away from the situation. Uh, it wouldn't manifest into anything bigger. And definitely in my in my time at overseas clubs, I probably witnessed a bit more hostility in, in that sense. And, yeah, I mean, that's one of the beauties of playing in Australia. And, um, yeah, I never really had too much experiences in that regard. All right, well, let's bring in Mark Schwartzer to give us his thoughts on this topic as well. Schwartz, what have you got? Yeah, I think when you're in a World Cup group, uh, in, a, in, a, in an environment, camp environment, it can be really, really tough. And it's got to be really well monitored. I think uh, dynamics can always play a part. I mean, Belgium, for example, they've been together for a long, long time. But I suppose it's a lot to do with frustration. Some players, maybe Kevin De Bruyne, are feeling frustrated that some of the other players are not at the level they need to be. They've missed out on an unbelievable opportunity to to, to make some history. And uh, they've underperformed, it goes without saying. But they also could be very clever. They could be deflecting. They could be making out as if they're not getting on, things are not going so well. Um, however, they lost today and they weren't great. So 
I think there's problems in that camp, and uh, it's something that uh, needs to be addressed really quickly, if at all it is possible. Um, but Belgium are a strange cat. But yeah, group environments are tough. They can be very, very tough. But like I said, it's up to the manager. It's up to the the team around the manager to make sure that everybody uh, is going well. The dynamics are all right. Team morale is good. Fascinating. Interesting to hear from Mark Schwartz there as well. All right, one more game to talk about, and it was one of the big surprises of the tournament. Japan, they'd just come off beating Germany. A lot of people in the Japanese media, especially the English-speaking media that covered the J-League, saying that it was the best result that the Japanese men's team had ever had. But Bridgie, they went and spoiled it all by losing to Costa Rica. It is interesting. It's like the roller coaster of life. The ups and the highs and the downs and the lows and... Japan, when you looked at that game against Germany, the the way that they made the substitutions, uh, half-time changed their tactics and went with the the wing-backs instead of the back four because they were getting getting countered down one side. Absolutely brilliant. It was a masterclass. And then they go out today against Costa Rica and you were kind of like, please, is this the same team? They weren't covering the same distance. The high-intensity runs weren't there. The dynamics weren't there. And they, they were fragile at the back, even though Costa Rica had like two two shots, scored two goals, and one was disallowed. They they just looked very very vulnerable, and I couldn't believe it was the same team. So, yeah, you go from heroes to zeros in the space of four days. It's that that's the joy of football. Yeah, and I think the dynamics of this game for Japan were very different. You know, obviously, in the first game against Germany, they would have to soak up a lot of pressure, and they had the fast players on the counter attack to hide, to try and hurt Germany and. In this game, they had to try and make the game, and you touched on Costa Rica's style of play before, how it's very defensive and launching counter-attacks, and this was kind of the polar opposite to Japan's first game and posed them a completely different challenge, and yeah, like you said, they weren't able to come up with the solutions, and I'm sure they're kicking themselves, but I think that Costa Rica probably deserved the win, and yeah, I mean, I can't really think of too many clear-cut chances that Japan created in the whole game, really. I honestly don't know how they've managed to turn a 7-0 defeat into a 1-0 victory um, in in that short space of time because I've had a couple of smashings in my time uh, when I played football, not at national level, uh, international level. But for them to get to galvanise themselves, Tommy, I don't know how they've got the mindset to do it uh, because you'd you'd be absolutely shattered. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously they've got a very resolute mindset and I think that it's interesting as well, you know, the, the the way they play, how it's so defensive. I think if they concede a goal first, then their game plan's in trouble, you know, because then they have to start opening up and they can get picked off. And I think that's kind of what happened against the Spanish team. When Spain scored early, their game plan was out the window. And in this game, you know, the longer the game went on, you know, being goalless, it kind of played into their hands as well. And I thought the dynamics of this game suited them from that regard. Well, Teo, you will be delighted because I've finally found another team that I will not watch in my front garden. It used to be Burnley <laughs> until Vincent Company took over. They're playing good football. It is now Costa Rica. <laughs> well, you might have one more chance to watch them, Bridgie, uh, but maybe not too many more. Just just quickly, fellas. So what do we think for Group uh, E, Spain, Germany, Japan, Costa Rica? Are we all still staying Spain, Germany go through? For me, yeah. Yes. I can see Germany do, getting the job done in the last game. And, you know, I think unless Spain, if Spain avoids a catastrophic defeat, they're pretty much already through anyway. So I think that's how this group will play out. No, it's good. Spain, it's Spain, Germany now, definitely. Yeah, I can see that one. And Group F, do either of you having Belgium beating Croatia to get through? 
I don't, personally. I think Croatia and Morocco will go through. Bridget, you're shaking your head. Yeah, that, yeah, I'm not having them. I'm, <laughs> we've, we're definitely going down the same route here. Croatia turned it on towards the end, controlled the game, and I just think, um, yeah, Belgium with the the disarray, the result, the uh, the injuries they've had, and like we've talked about the the off the field stuff that is going on now, and probably um, they'll be arguing over their supper or their breakfast as we do this podcast. Uh, I can't see them galvanising. So, yeah, I think I think they'll be going home. Now, Tommy, you weren't on the pod yesterday, so I just want to get your thoughts quickly on the Socceroos. Uh, not so much the, the win, but looking ahead to Denmark and, and what comes next. What are you taking out of it 24 hours on, having the chance to mull over the performance against Tunisia, but also the fact that a draw gets us through to the knockout rounds, assuming Tunisia don't beat France? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it was what a game it was. Um, you know, the way that we went about the game got in their faces. It was so aggressive, but, you know, with the ball as well, it was everything that we spoke about after the France game. You know, the first 20 minutes in the France game were impressive, and then we went back into our shells, and that's what I want to see again in, in this last game. You know, we can't go into this last game thinking that a draw is going to be enough. We need to kind of go into this game with the same mindset we did with the Tunisia game. Because if you give the likes of Ericsson and these types of players time and space, I think it could be a difficult day. So, um, I mean, the blueprint's there, and I don't probably don't expect too many changes from Arnie in this game uh, if everybody pulls up okay, because you know the boys all did tremendously in the last game. But yeah, I think the intent in this game um, is, is going to be key. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the mindset that a draw is enough. If you go in with that mindset, I don't think it'll end well for us. Now, some quick tips for the games coming up tonight. So, Bridgie, uh, we'll start with you. Cameroon, Serbia, have you got uh, the Serbs bouncing back or Cameroon capitalising to overcome their first defeat against Switzerland? I've got a 1-1 draw relying on this one. That's what I'm going for, a draw. Uh, I expect Serbia to win this one. Uh, South Korea against Ghana. I'm going to go for Ghana. There you go. I I love I love the fans. I love what they are all about. I like they actually like the style of play. Their style of play. They were very flamboyant on the field and they're flamboyant off the field with their fans. I'm all for them going. Even though Son, you know, the Spurs man that I admire so much is there. Um Garner it is. I've got a draw in this one. I think um there's a lot on the line for both teams and I can I can see it being a, a bit of a stalemate potentially. Brazil were amazing in their first game. They are now back up against Switzerland. Bridgie, any risk of uh, Brazil not winning this game? Switzerland are very, very, very well organised team. I've got to say that, but I just think the flair and in, in the quality in the final third that Brazil showed with the starting lineup and with the players that they brought on, it's just phenomenal. So um, I think not sure if Neymar's going to be fit for this one. I've seen a little thing on his Twitter. He said his bruising's gone down, um, but I don't think it's going to have gone down enough. But I still think they have enough quality. Uh, Brazil all the way. Yeah, I agree with Bridgie. I think Brazil will win this one. And uh, Uruguay knocked Portugal out of the 2018 World Cup, so Portugal get a little shot at revenge here. Do you see them getting success, Bridgie, or do Uruguay do it again? Oh, after all the stuff Ronaldo's been through, he scored at five World Cups, he gets the penalty, he gets up, he steps it. There's never there's never a scene. So uh, you know what it is? I'm, I'm a bit more of a Suarez and a Carvani man myself. Um, I'm going to say because of what Ronaldo did, for Manchester United and the way he disrespected them, I'm taking Uruguay in this one. There you go. I agree. I've got Uruguay in this one. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think that they're they're a team no one likes to play against, and I think that Portugal's a little bit vulnerable at this at the moment. And I think you're a role in. They seem they seem to be defensively the masters of the dark arts of football. Godin and them in the past, you know, they're just they're just. There was, there's nothing worse than playing against a South American team that, uh, as I've played against, I played against Aldair when he played for Roma, the Brazilian. He was a nightmare. He would nip you, kick you, punch you away from the ball. I know there's a lot more cameras here now, but you just see things that go on. They've got this different class in, in how to defend. So, um, yeah, I'll take Uruguay in this one. Yes, the thoughts of Michael Bridges and Tommy Orr there. And a big thanks to Mark Schwarzer as well. Don't forget the Gegen Pod is daily during the World Cup. So make sure to hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and rate us five stars while you're there. If you haven't had your fill of live football, don't forget that WSL continues live and exclusive on Optus Sport. I've been your host, Teo Pelizzeri, for this one, and I'll be back tomorrow. So thanks for listening to the Optus Sport Football Podcast. This was The Gegen Pod. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.